Welcome to Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, All He Surveys, Volume 1, Chapter 1. Attention all passengers and crew, this is the captain. He announced over the shipwide PA. We are on schedule for our pre-transitional series. Oh no! I breathed in horror and dashed to the oven window, where my helpless charge swelled with perfect life. The souffle was a nightmare. Oh, not yet. Right now it was beautiful. My best yet. But that would certainly change. I had tried. I'd even been confident. External circumstances muscled in. Yes, I'd been extremely careful. But that doesn't always matter. This was a failure. I had failed my chef. I was to make a cheese souffle based on my own bechamel sauce, just like yesterday and the day before. She was looking for consistency. If I could achieve that, if I could display the kind of attention to detail required to create a famously finicky dish over and over, I could begin doing more than just cleaning. It wasn't about how good it was, nor what stage my cooking skills were in. It was about showing up and repeating what I had learned again and again. Gold like a sunset over the Seine. Round like the cheek of a baby. Do that. Do it again. Do it every time, and she'd look at me as a member of the staff. Chef Irina had said this to me, and this plainly. And when she said a thing, whether it yet existed or not, you could take it as reality. Prepare the sauce. Mix the ingredients. Set the correct time. Be sure it didn't burn. And above all, see that it didn't collapse in the oven. I'd done that for the first time only yesterday, so today was my first crack at consistency. For something like this, you couldn't just focus on the recipe. You couldn't only be aware of kitchen conditions. That wasn't enough. You had to take everything in hand. You had to control the galaxy. And you especially had to read the star jump schedule and know when the pre-transitional sequence for the ship's star jump engine was set to be initiated and plan your meal around it. PTS was a partial initiation of the ship's return process to normal space. It was thought to ease the crossing, 
making it go more smoothly and safely, offering up less discomfort to the people aboard. Traveling in and out of jump space could be rough sometimes, depending upon the ship, its engines, the fuel type and quality, competency of the engineering and bridge crews, and about a million other factors. After 22 years as a spacer, objective time, I wasn't sold on the idea that PTS actually did what it was purported to do, but the cruise line was, and this was their ship. Step one of this process involves dimensional harmonic alignment, which will ease our way back into normal space. Not now, I shouted at the unseen officer, who, heedless and unhearing up on the bridge, continued on cheerfully. Expect a slight shudder throughout the ship in approximately 60 seconds. Again, we are on schedule and all systems are nominal. Thank you very much. It'll be fine, Ejok, the roundsman prognosticated while passing by. They always deflate after you take them out. And anyway, that whole bump in the kitchen thing is a myth. His name was Moraic Warren, or Mori, as he preferred. He was at Tournon, that is, a cook whose job it specifically was to lend a hand, or even fill in at any kitchen station required. Frying, roasting, baking, salad prep, he could do it all. Perhaps not quite to the level of art, but always quickly and always competently. He was a heavy guy with dark skin, shaved head, and a completely unconscious resting face of supreme sadness though I'd yet to see him in anything but an upbeat mood. I've seen it happen, Yuku Sirvain contradicted, especially in jump space for some reason. Why didn't you just wait till after? She didn't have much patience for me, but neither did I just then. I forgot! Do you know how many years it's been since I've done a luxury run? At least one too many, Ibn Muhammad declared from across the length of the galley. He was a certified saucier, had very high standards, and held everyone stridently to them, starting with himself. The only positive note in this song of woe was that I hadn't screwed up one of his dishes. A souffle falling is nothing tragic or unusual. A souffle falling because you forgot about something that was announced long in advance is carelessness. This was said with a regretful severity, as if he wanted to chew me out. This kitchen, though, had a concrete hierarchy in place, and the exercise had not been assigned by him. Everyone had heard Executive Chef Irina Markoviskov task me with this egg dish when she'd been summoned to an officer's meeting. On most ships, this would never include kitchen staff of any kind, but diamond-class luxury cruises with a four-star Ludorf-rated chef in the galley were not most ships. The seconds cut through my nerves like razor blades, dread-mounting. The anticipation a positive scourge. It was entirely possible nothing would happen. The egg looked set. Yukus crouched by my side, counting down the seconds scrolling across her retinal displays with gleeful malice. Four, three, two, here we go. Several fast thumps peppered the deck, causing pans and cutlery to rattle momentarily. And there it goes, she finished, pointing through the window, 
as the perfectly rounded dome of my creation, not yet golden, tore, drooped, then fully collapsed, much like my self-esteem. Yuku stood back up, using my shoulder as a crutch she didn't need, then held on, shaking me enthusiastically. Outstanding work, Ejok! Outstanding! Mori was by the grill now, working with some faux salmon, but he gave me a sympathetic nod. Don't beat yourself up. It's that vegetable-based cream. Something about how it binds with the fake egg structure. Souffles can be temperamental, but it takes a delicate hand for vegan ones. Lots of practice. You said it would be fine. What do I know? It was going perfectly, I complained in pure misery. This was supposed to prove yesterday was more than a fluke. Why does Chef keep giving you such a tough dish to practice on? He wondered. But Ibn had come up to my side, forcing Yukus to retreat to a neutral distance. He peered through the glass at my disgrace. Because Chef Irina is exactly that, while neither of you are. She knows how to cook, and she knows how to teach. This is not in question. What is in question is whether Ejok knows how to learn. What did she tell you to do? It was to have a golden dome before it came out. She repeated that twice. Quite the challenge for a beginner. But you were given instructions and you failed. That makes this dish garbage. Throw it out. Should I make another? No. We're into dinner prep. Zepon will be here in five minutes. Do your real job, Ejok, and clean this up. The tall, imposing man gave me a smoldering glare from black orbs ill-suited to tolerance, his dark, close-cropped beard and perfect mustache adding authority to his bearing. Indeed, everything about the man was completely in order, and was always so. I didn't dislike him, but he did terrify me. So I followed this directive. I would have had to at any rate, but really, there was nothing else for it. Another failure. How could a man be so good at eating, I wondered, discarding the ruined egg dish down the reclaimer and dropping the pan in the dishwasher, and be so bad at cooking? In the old days, I might have had to clean it by hand, but there were hygiene laws that required complete automation of particular jobs. Food poisoning and jump space could be tragic, after all, so it made sense. Irina Markovskov, born in St. Petersburg, Russia, back on Terra, to a family of famous chefs on the one side and food critics on the other, had been trained in Paris and worked in a wide variety of kitchens on that world and through much of settled space. She finally won the coveted fourth star when a secret team of assessors from the Ludorf Culinary Institute gauged her food half a dozen times over the course of a full season— autumn in Paris, and settled on the highest possible rating. At the time, she was the youngest chef in history to be so awarded, and it made her a legend in the cooking world. The key to her success, she always said later, was in very strictly following the brigade de cuisine system, that is, the formal structure of rank, duty, and hierarchy. In her kitchen, there was only one person called chef, and that woman sat at the top. The galley of the medium commercial transport 
Dorcas of the Heather, a premier diamond-class luxury passenger ship of Cleogan Cruise Lines, was no different. Directly below Chef Irina in kitchen rank was Timot Zabon, sous chef. In a restaurant deep in a gravity well, these two would likely have worked side by side most of the day. Aboard a ship in space, they tag-teamed shifts, making sure the chef's vision was understood and enforced at all times. I'd never been in the military, but this couldn't have been far off the mark. Each day had a rhythm in the kitchen, but the souffle had been a huge letdown and I was not on my game. I wasn't even in the game. Chef never had faith I'd get it right. Maybe she'd given the order expressly so I would fail, over and over, making it an exercise in humility and an opportunity to surmount limitations. I like to think so, anyway, because otherwise it was only to make me so miserable I'd quit. I had gotten the position after mentioning an idle desire to cross-train in the shipboard culinary arts to a few people. One of them, my agent, Doris Maliver, back in the Alliance. The industry was changing, and quality gigs were becoming scarce. She couldn't snow-job me on this point the way she could her usual stable of talent, so she put out some feelers and the position just opened up. Food prep? Sure! How about working under the tutelage of one of the best chefs in the galaxy? There was no waiting list to get into Irina Markovskov's kitchen, as positions were invite-only and restricted to people she already knew or who'd been recommended by fellow cooks or restaurateurs she respected. Dorcas was a draw for the very rich, but first and foremost it was a starship. Like all ships, it had crew positions that needed to be filled, and there was a tight deadline. Even though Chef Irina was very used to being picky about her staff, she had never worked on a ship before this, and therefore had never been denied the final word about such a thing, at least not since her fourth star. The whole arrangement of her even being on the ship was a publicity grab for Cleogan Cruise Lines, and I suspected it had been something of the same for her. A brilliant cook, but one steeped in celebrity, and influence, one requirement of which was never-ending novelty. The millions of fans who watched her food vids, bought her cookbooks, and thronged to her celebrated restaurants on three worlds and six major space stations demanded to be fed with more than just first-in-class food. They needed Chef Irina's next great adventure to fill their hearts with exotica and romance. I had been taking the intermittent cooking class here and there while between births, but walking into a kitchen like this with only a basic certification was like scratching on a violin for a week before getting a solo in a concert hall. To say that I was out of my depth might be the greatest understatement of my life. Cleaning was the job right now. As a prenti, that is, an apprentice in the kitchen, I was new not just to galley work, but to the profession as a whole. That happened all the time in restaurants, so there were procedures for it in the brigade system. The new guy gets the lowly tasks. 
My ongoing souffle nightmare aside, which actually amounted to special training and attention from Chef Irina, something worth its weight in gold if I'd been seeing it clearly, I still had a job to do. I was learning a lot, no argument. Mostly about myself, my limitations, my temperament, and, to be perfectly frank, my age. Yeah, they were catching up. The years, the bad habits, the sitting and doing nothing between jobs, and every opportunity to do the same while on jobs. Sit and eat, sit and read, sit and watch vids, sit and run simulations on the current ship's gunnery suite, or, barring that, on my own portable devices and networked systems. Sit and had become my way of life. I'd been fully conscious of it, while yet oddly never noticing. A busy kitchen had no room for that kind of lifestyle. My feet hurt all the time, my knees, my back, my arms. I wore analgesic nerve blocks and muscle patches designed to mitigate fatigue to certain regions of the body. I wore them every day. I wore them all day, under my starched white uniform and under my perfectly white cap. Nearly everyone in there used them. It was a hard job, easily the most consistently demanding of my entire life, even beyond some truly awful cargo handling gigs I'd fallen into over the years. Uh, well, except maybe for a mixed-content, single-box hauler, in-system run-over and Pagula minor system that I'd taken in my early days in space. There were no working load bots, pallet jacks, or lifters on the thing, and for three solid weeks of 14-hour shifts and no days off, everything had to be moved around by hand. Yeah, that had been worse, but I was young then. You can do anything when you don't know any better. It was not so much that I was unused to the pace. I mean, that was a given, but I figured it would become normal in time. It's that I was unsure if this was even the right professional direction at all. I'd been thinking about food prep for a while, and had even taken a diner job for a few months on a residential station over in the Dubin Senior Star System. I had been between cruises at that time and figured, why not? It was fast-paced at times, like this kitchen, but the employees were more like friends than co-workers. It was a lot of fun, to be honest, and I'd found it encouraging. I'd also taken just enough stewarding gigs over the years to have the idiot confidence that I met the sort of expectations a renowned chef on a luxury cruise would have. Reality is a constant surprise. Chef Irina was no short-order cook, and she didn't see the kitchen and staff as her home or family. This was her calling, her passion, her art, and at best, we were the tools she needed to express it, her brushes, her palate. We were not serving food, we were changing lives. That's how she saw it, and that's how she expected us to see it, or else, why were we here? In fact, I'd have to say that everyone did have that point of view. Certainly, Ibn Muhammad did. Actually, if anything, he saw the structure of Chef's Kitchen as being a perfect emulation of the heavens. It was only the frailty of people that caused it to go awry. And lately, 
the frailty of one person in particular. This was easily the most prestigious job I'd ever had in any field, and despite all my previous assumptions, one I was finding incredibly difficult to even do poorly, let alone well. The enforced hierarchy alone was enough to keep me on edge, something that would normally have brought out my churlish side, but I had little to say back to anyone, no matter how gruff or condescending they spoke, because I really didn't know what I was doing. Their exasperation was understandable. I couldn't feel the rhythm of the kitchen, the pace of the team. I was no gourmet, but I was beginning to understand what it took to be one. A love of food. I mostly just loved a full belly, which wasn't the same thing. <laughs> I looked like I ate well, anyway. Portly and rolling up on 50 years old. A chubby face made me look younger. I lived on bad station food and instant meals when aboard ships or boats. I popped fat blockers and blood sugar stabilizers like candy, which didn't do anything for my profile, but did keep me upright. Really, I had no major health issues to speak of, but this didn't mean I was healthy. I suppose I could say that better standards were being instilled by osmosis. I was becoming more adept at cleaning, and since I was eating the food of professionals every day now, I was certainly eating better than normal. In turn, I was seeing what great food was supposed to taste like. Several of the staff, including Yukus and Mori, took turns as communa, or the one who prepared food for the kitchen staff, and usually they used it as a chance to try out new ideas and to practice certain skills they didn't get to hone on a regular workday. At least that's how it seemed to me. I just ate whatever was prepared, and when asked for an opinion generally stumbled through a series of compliments designed to mask as much of my ignorance as possible, which was generally unconvincing. I didn't see an officer's meeting on the schedule, Maury offered to everyone and no one. The conversation had drifted that way while I'd been ruminating. It's not supply problems, is it? I'm counting on those greenbelt aubergines. No one's saying... Zene Michaels offered from over at the pastry table as she rolled out some dough by hand. There was a dough bot on an articulated arm, but she disparaged its very existence, as did nearly everyone else in the place. She only used it for large bread mixes, and then only for the initial work. Everything that followed got personal treatment. They have a high-protein semolina legume hybrid flour I've been dying to play with. I put in for a few sacks, but restaurants always get first shot at that stuff. Galley suppliers aren't in the same class, apparently. Nah, at least back in LaRoque's star system, it had to do with port regs, said Niran Duville, the garçon de cuisine, or kitchen boy, though he was 30 if he was a day. Chef had me pull down a list of spice vendors on Aileron Station. She said we'd have to battle with customs to get the good stuff through, and she was right. How's it looking? Sous-chef Timot Zabon called out as he entered. He was a tall man with red hair, big belly, and a booming voice. He sported a closely clipped beard and had sharp green eyes that never missed a detail. 
He was generally an energetic, jovial sort of fellow, but could have moments of thunderous fury. Indeed, each shift saw him heaping abuse on someone, often me, and even throwing pots or food across the room. Five minutes later, he'd be laughing and singing snatches of racy folk songs in French, German, English, and some other Terran lingo I never could identify. He was a man of great passions, chief of which was cooking, and for that, he could be forgiven anything. A rising talent upon Terra with a Ludorf star of his own, Timote had been chef in a critically acclaimed but financially insecure restaurant into which he'd put much of his money. Opportunity and necessity aligned when his business failed and a very well-paying chance to work under one of the preeminent chefs of the day came along. To the cruise line, it was surely a coup. I could just see it. Administrative and marketing execs looking at Chef Irina with four stars and Timote with one. Five stars total! They could sell that, no matter how nonsensical the math. Timote had heard the shipwide call for the officers, so Chef Irina's absence was no surprise. Normally, they'd have a sit-down for 20 minutes or so, with coffee and fresh pastries from Zanay, and go over the day's concerns. Instead, Ibn Muhammad walked him around the galley going over the status of the shift up to that point, including, Oh, and another souffle was ordered by chef, which ended predictably, as they passed by me. Timote offered a meaty chortle and cast me a wide grin. He didn't care about the souffle because he didn't care about me. It was just funny. Of course, if the order had been one of his, I might have been wearing my failure, so little graces should never be disdained. I was never quite sure how the Ludorf rating system worked, but I did know that individual chefs, as well as establishments, could win stars. The sous chef himself was a minor celebrity, and had gotten his star in a restaurant that had been awarded none. A loudly and frequently stated goal was to once again open a place of his own. That took backers. Backers required confidence. Confidence was built upon notoriety, and notoriety came from awards and professional connections. He had the one already. Working under Irina Markovskov would bring the other. He was a pro and knew when the spotlight was his to command and when it was not. Right now it wasn't, but that was set to change. There was an oil spill on the grill, and I hurried to clean it up without being called. That felt good. There was a puddle of water in the middle of the galley that no one could or would account for, and I cleaned it up when it was spotted. That was okay, too. I took on pots and pans when there was char or gunk that the dishwasher couldn't handle. That was not much fun, but whatever. At one point, both Mori and Yukus called for help simultaneously for different tasks, peppering me with a kindly request on the one side and a caustic order on the other. Technically, Yukus was senior to Mori, but the roundsman was holding a hot pan. It was a safety issue for him, rather than one of convenience for the line cook, so that's the way I went. Objectively, it was the right call. From an interpersonal standpoint... Yukus let me know that it wasn't. Hearing the sniping, Timot threw us all a bright smile that cleared up nothing.
We'd be serving in less than 90 minutes at this point, and it was the last meal aboard ship for at least a dozen of the passengers. As a diamond-class cruiser, Dorcas of the Heather was comparatively small. It carried a maximum of 167 waking passengers, 252 more frozen down, which were mostly the domestics and employees of the waking passengers, and 94 crew members, including kitchen staff. Aside from private yachts, there was no more luxurious way to travel through space. I had never before served on a ship this nice, and I'd been on some nice ones. Clash! Bang! What is this? Timot screamed at Maury, pointing at a saucepan of shallots on the stove nearby. I couldn't hear the reply. It doesn't matter if it isn't your station! You're not a robot, man! Wake up! And then he launched into a torrent of abuse. Emoke, whose dish it really was, stepped forward then, stating that she'd run out of some herb or other and had gone to the spice pantry for just a moment to find it and... Why didn't you tell Mori then, or even Ejok, instead of leaving these shallots alone? I thought I knew right where it was and... Look at this! Look at this! He ordered, grabbing a spoon and coming up with what looked like perfectly diced and caramelized onions to me, but not to him. A pig had dysentery in your pan. This by you is good technique? No, uh, of course not. Never walk away from your station when you have seconds left on a vegetable. Start again. Yes, Sushev, of course. Timote fumed for a moment, face red as an angry boil, gnarled in fury. He closed his eyes and seemed to consider the very state of the universe. It lasted only a moment, then he smiled. That pasty complexion returning as quickly as it had fled, his prunish disapproval vanishing like vapor off the stove. You know, I did that once with asparagus when I was a commie at this place in Deriva system. The chef was a monster. Bolton was his name. You think I scream a lot? The dish was ruined, but no one saw me do it, so I plated it myself and put it out to serve. <laughs> but there was a local food critic in the house that night. The review next day was glowing. It spoke of a bold, new approach to asparagus, but Bolton knew better and made me sweat over it. That critic didn't know what she was talking about. But you know what I'm talking about, yes? Yes, Sushef. My apologies. It won't happen again. Good, good, he encouraged, with a friendly clap on the back, and then louder. Let's roll, people! We want to send off our departing guests with a bang! Their only regret should be that they won't get to eat our food anymore! Whoop, whoop, whoop! There was a cheer then that came from every voice in the kitchen, and a few arm pumps in the air. I joined in late, not understanding anything about the procedure, etiquette, or rituals even yet. Yukus gave me an urgent snap of her fingers, pointing to a dropped knife on the floor where people could walk or trip over it. I'd been wiping down a prep station, but hopped to pick it up and place it in the dishwasher. My enthusiasm might have been a bit behind that of the others, but I sure wasn't going to make her a low priority twice in one night.
You have been listening to All He Surveys, Volume 1, a Star Drifter novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. This story is copyright 2022 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called Icor by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The All He Surveys theme is a piece called Blossom by Edward Malov and is licensed through TribeOfNoise.com. This story is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead nor any particular place or situation. Any similarities to such are purely coincidental. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site, davidcollinsrivera.com, where you'll find everything Star Drifter, including more audio novels and stories, the Star Drifter tabletop role-playing game, podcasts, newsletters, and more. Stop by, won't you, and drop me a line. Thank you for listening. Take care.